Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. This is a creature feature episode where I look at cryptids. I'll describe them, delve into their history, look at some eyewitness accounts and look at what they might be. Research is as academic as possible and references will be given after the story. This week's creature is the Puckwudgie. Puckwudgie features in a lot of Native American legends. Across the tribes, it looks and acts differently. Sometimes they are known as good-natured but mischievous, and others know them as evil tricksters. The name Puckwudgie translates to person of the wilderness. They're often revered as protectors of the forest, and it's suggested that they should be avoided as much as possible and not interacted with if they're seen. The Wampanoag legend of the Puckwudgie connects to Moshap, the creation giant who is believed to have created the land that is now Cape Cod. A beloved god, the Wampanoag were often made to feel taken care of by Moshap. The Puckwudgie often felt left out and tried to help the Wampanoag to become as revered as Moshap. The Puckwudgie had a problem though. They were tricksters by nature, and that often got the better of them, causing the Wampanoag to be unhappy with them. Instead of trying harder to be kind, the Puckwudgie were hurt. They decided that instead of being kind and helpful, they would be malevolent. They played tricks, scared people, and refused to help the Wampanoag to improve their lives. The Wampanoag soon got fed up and decided to visit Granny Squanit, who was Moshap's wife. They asked for guidance and Granny Squanit went to her husband. Under orders, Moshap gathered as many of the Puckwudgies as he could and threw them all around the area. The Puckwudgies went all over the place, landing in New England, the Great Lakes and as far south as Delaware. The hope was that, with the Puckwudgie so separated, it would be more difficult for them to have a large impact on the lives of humans. After separating the Puckwudgie, Moshup and Granny Squanit took some time away. It was well deserved. However, the Puckwudgie took this time to return to Massachusetts, only to discover that the Wampanoag were behind the separation. The Puckwudgie decided that it was finally time to double down on their behaviour. Instead of just being annoying, the Puckwudgie stepped up their tricks. They began to steal children, burn villages down, and lead people through the forest to their deaths. Moshup was aware of what was happening. Instead of returning and dealing with the situation, he sent his five sons to deal with it. Unfortunately, Moshup's sons weren't a match to the trickster ways of the Puckwudgie, and they were tricked, ensnared, and killed. Moshup and Granny Squanit were furious, and returned to kill as many Puckwudgie as possible. Many of the Puckwudgie managed to get away, escaping into New England, 
In some versions of the story, the Pukwudgie end up overwhelming Moshup and kill him. In Ojibwe legends, the Pukwudgie are mostly harmless, only playing harmless tricks on people. Abenaki legends state that they don't trouble humans who don't bother them, but are likely to cause harm to those who disturb them. In 1855, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow included the Pukwudgie in his epic poem, The Song of Hiawatha. In the poem, Pukwudgies were the only thing that would stand up to a character named Kwasind. They discover his weakness and commit to defeating him. After collecting some pine cones, they go to wait on some high rocks to ambush Kwasind as he passes by on a canoe. The Pukwudgie throw the pine cones at Kwasin's weak spot, the crown of his head, and manage to kill him. Outside of folklore and literature, Pukwudgie have been seen in Massachusetts, specifically the Fall River State Forest, which is near the home of the infamous Lizzie Borden. They've also been seen in Mounds State Park, Indiana, which is the site of ancient mounds built by the early native tribes that lived there. The other place that Pukwudgie have been spotted is Texas. The sightings are meant to be on Hairy Man Road in Round Rock. It's rumoured that Bigfoot lives nearby, which is where the name comes from. Let's look at some of the eyewitness accounts. In Massachusetts, a woman named Joan was walking her dog in the Freetown State Park when her dog bolted into the forest, dragging her along. When the dog stopped, Joan found herself looking at some kind of creature. They stared at each other until the dog took off again, pulling Joan back onto the path. Joan thought it was over after that, but the creature would appear outside her bedroom window at night until she left the area. Still in the Freetown State Forest, a man named Tom claims to have seen a Pukwudgie on two separate occasions. In the first encounter, Tom was walking in the forest at night. He saw a glow in front of him that appeared to swell as if it were breathing. Tom chose to follow the glow until it disappeared. He turned to leave and was met with a creature that ran off, letting out an eerie moan as it went. Another time, Tom had parked his car in the forest's parking lot and was just enjoying the solitude when he spotted the same creature. Only 20 feet away from him, he could make out that its eyes were glowing red. He said that the car's engine turned on by itself, making the radio blare. He panicked and drove home as fast as he could. I've looked everywhere for more eyewitness accounts but I seem to get a lot of Wizarding World information due to the Pukwudgie being one of the Ilvermorny houses. I'm sorry, I honestly thought that there would be more, but let's move on to the description. Although they're supposed to be in a few separate places, the descriptions of the Pukwudgie are relatively similar. 
Typically, they're described as being around knee height to an adult human. During the research, I found them described as somewhere between three and six foot tall over different stories, so their height is questionable. They also tend to have large hands, sagging shoulders and a stooped appearance, with a tendency to hunch forward when they walk. However, they're known to be quite fast with their movements. I've seen different descriptions of their faces as well. They could have a nose like a dog, but they also might not. Their eyes both do and do not glow as well. I also saw somewhere that they might even have quills on their back, like a hedgehog or a porcupine. As for powers, Pukwajis have a supernatural cunning. They're able to outsmart the heroes in the folklore and were able to possibly take out the creator giant. They also have powers based on their position as protector spirits. The powers change based on whose folklore you're listening to, but I'll list what I could find. Pukwaji can become completely invisible, shapeshift into animals, most notably porcupines, and use their sight to bring harm to people. They also have a kind of magical power that allows them to cause confusion and may be able to cause their entire bodies to glow or create fire at will. Even more terrifying is that if you get on the bad side of a Pukwaji and they kill you, they take control of your soul and can use it as a kind of weapon against threats or to send you to haunt somebody if they would like to. They're also known to use weapons like knives, spears and bows. They also have the knowledge of poisons according to the law. They use their numbers to attack in unison. Then they will attempt to intimidate, kidnap or otherwise push people off of cliffs. The Pukwaji could possibly be a malevolent entity and now we've looked at their appearance and abilities you might be able to prevent yourself from getting ambushed. We've looked at the stories and the description now, and usually I'd move right onto the theories here. But there's an issue this week. I can't find any. Nobody has tried to explain away the Pukwaji. So I'm going to give you one of my personal theories, tell you a bit about how the Pukwaji ended up in the colonists' folklore as well, and touch upon an adjacent mystery to the Pukwaji. The theory I have about the Pukwaji is that it's actually just porcupines. They're small and are known to be able to turn into animals, so it could easily just be a porcupine. It doesn't explain the glowing, but it could also be explained by other things. It could also just be a Pukwaji and not anything else. How did the Pukwaji end up as part of the colonists' folklore? He was initially a Native American creature and had been in circulation long before the Puritans landed. And when the Puritans came in the 17th century, they brought with them tales of witches, ghosts, and the devil. 
those three things weren't specific to England. They're stories that could be found all over the world. The difference is that the Puritans had a very real paranoia about all of these things. The journey across the ocean meant that the Puritans had also left behind some of their own folklore. These ones are a little less worldwide. Dragons and ogres had stayed in England, and the most important folklore stayed as well. Fairies. They'd remained behind, and even in the 19th century, church ministers talked about how there were no fairies or elves in the fields to spirit the children away. Poet John Whittier even said that fairy faith was dead because the culture of the Puritans involved more serious superstitions. The thing is that there were fairies in New England. They'd been there the whole time. They were even written down, except they were written in the Algonquin language, which the white settlers hadn't even thought to learn. Even people who were able to translate it had difficulty with the pronunciation, unless they were natives and knew how to say the words. This changed in 1934. Elizabeth Reynard published The Narrowland, Folk Chronicles of Old Cape Cod. This book included many Wampanoag legends that she had been told by the Wampanoag chieftain, Clarence Wixon. Wixon had knowledge of other Native American languages and chose to use the Ojibwe word for the creatures, Pukwudgie. From there, the Pukwudgie became a mainstay of New England folklore, even being linked in with the next part, the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm not going to go too in-depth with this, because I'm going to look into it at a later date. The information is coming from the Wikipedia page, so I don't spoiler the full episode. The Bridgewater Triangle is an area in southeast Massachusetts that spans around 200 square miles, or 520 square kilometres. It spans from Freetown in the south corner of Rehoboth in the west, all the way up to Abington in the north. The eastern line of the triangle runs directly through Bridgewater and East Bridgewater. The name was coined by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, based on reports of paranormal phenomena like poltergeists, balls of fire, Sasquatch sightings, giant snakes, thunderbirds, and even UFOs. There are several landmarks in the triangle, and it's strange for me to read them, because some of the names are familiar to me, like Taunton and Bridgewater. Both of these places are in the county of Somerset in the UK, which is a separate place. But Somerset itself is a separate place in Massachusetts as well. Um, so it's quite, quite surreal. Aside from that digression, Pukwudgies are one of the most common creatures that are spotted inside the Triangle. The Freetown Forest isn't actually inside it though, which is strange but the Pukwudgie scattered when they were attacked. So I guess they really could be anywhere. Either way, if you're in the Bridgewater Triangle or near Freetown Forest, maybe even Mound State Park or Hairy Man Road, be on the lookout. If you disturb a Pukwudgie, they might start causing you some problems.
description and history of today's creature came from an astonishing legends article called Pukwudgies, a Shmoop article about the Song of Hiawatha, and a legit article called What is a Pukwudgie and is it real? The eyewitness reports came from a Paranormal Papers article called Pukwudgie, and an America's Most Haunted article called The Case for Cryptids, Pukwudgie. The theory from today came from me. The history of how the Pukwudgie folklore became known outside of native tribes came from a New England folklore article called Pukwudgies in Freetown, some fairy sightings in Massachusetts. The information about the Bridgewater Triangle came from the Wikipedia article about it. References for the episode will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, links to those and other ways to listen are in the episode description under my link tree. You can currently find me on Facebook and Instagram. Patreon is getting an upload of one of the transcripts each week as part of the £3 tier. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and, as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people that do. I do have an email set up on the link tree, but it doesn't actually open up a new email, so that's in the description of the episode too. Send me your spooky stories, unexplained events and anything else you want me to read out. Or, if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said, let me know and I'll address them as soon as I see the email. The next episode will be out on Wednesday and next week's Creature Feature will be released on July the 2nd. So hold on until then. (laughs) 